says tech can't be human? There are any myriad ways that someone can exfiltrate data or steal secrets. It is easy if you know what you're doing. Even the people that don't know what they're doing still are getting away with it because companies don't have the right mechanisms in place to detect it. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. This episode, we're going to highlight a human problem that affects every company and organization in the world. Insider Thread. And to make this happen, we've brought in Shawnee Delaney. Shawnee is the CEO of Viance Group, where her company offers consultation and provides their expertise on the subject matter at hand, insider threat, and more. Shawnee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I feel like I need to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You know, we're going to make everybody do that going forward. No, so we were introduced by... One of our favorite people of all time, James Lawler, excellent storyteller, yeah. super spy extraordinaire. He was on the podcast and we're going to have him on again because he has some other things coming out here soon. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are yet, was a little bit of your background and what you're doing today. Yeah. So James Lawler was actually one of my mentors who became a very dear friend of mine. Uh, I'm, I think I, I told him I'm president of his fan club. Just so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I am a former DIA case officer, which similar to him, operations officer is another term. I basically went out and recruited people to commit treason against their countries and provide secret intelligence information so that I could then pass that to our policymakers. Outstanding. I mean, obviously you have probably just as many stories as Jim does. Jim has like some of the best stories ever, but tell us a little bit about your entrance into that world. What was that process like for you and how does it show up for you today? Yeah. So I am one of those very odd people, probably the black sheep of my family who, when I was very, very young, I saw the news report of the Marine barracks bombing in Beirut. And I recall how my father reacted. I recall how serious Dan Rather was. And I, I like to tell people I did have a massive crush on him, not going to lie. So, <laughs> so even at that young age, I was like, oh, well, he's serious and my dad's serious. Like, what is this? And so there was just something in my little young brain about when they were talking about terrorism, they were talking about Hezbollah. And there was just something that I don't know, triggered, like I paid attention at that young age. And so I ended up just really pursuing it. And as I got older, I realized like a spy, like that's a real job. Like I could do that. So I went from being this very shy kid um, to 
like actively pursuing, I wanted to be a, a case officer. And so everything I did, I just did with that in mind. I went and studied Arabic. I lived in the Middle East alone. I tried to do anything and everything I could to beef up my resume. And I did it for eight and a half years. And then when I left, I realized that I used to steal secrets for a living which means I'm actually pretty good at protecting them, right? I used mm. to recruit people based on their motivations, their vulnerabilities, using natural human traits. And so if I could leverage those skills to help companies protect their assets, their people, their trade secrets, what have you, maybe I could continue to do some good and still feel like I was contributing to the mission. You know, I, I miss having mm. that sense of mission. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am today. So definitely run us through a story of a story where you got some of this insider threat experience working as a case officer. Jim brought 30 minutes worth of stories. We don't have to do that for this episode. <laughs> but what's one really impactful story that really gave you the experience and the confidence to say, like, yes, I really understand this subject of insider threat? You know, it was not, there wasn't one, there were, I think, many over time, but with each case, I got more and more confident. And I've said this before, but when I was going through training, it was really challenging in that my instructors for the large majority were older white males. And I kept getting pulled aside course after course saying, Shawnee, it's going to be really hard for you. Like there are men in certain countries who are not going to want to talk to you, you know, and here are all the reasons why you're not going to succeed. And so first of all, they're trying to tell me that as a woman, I would just wouldn't succeed. Mm. And then they're lumping all these people with the same religion or same, you know, from the same background, like that they wouldn't want to work with me. So going in, in the beginning, I was very unsure and terrified really that I'd walk in a room and my source would look at me, turn around and walk out. You know, right. so over time I got more and more confident, but there was a case where I was meeting with someone from the armed services of a, what we call a hard target country, mm -hmm. um, very, very uh, challenging case. And we are supposed to have what we call in the business, a warm turnover. That's where the, the case officer that has been running that person has been meeting with that person and developing them then, you know, brings you into the meeting and says, Hey, and usually they give them a heads up before, but mm -hmm. Hey, this is whatever my name was. I'm going home. She's going to take over. Whatever the store, you know, there's always a cover right. store, whatever the reason is. Well, that warm turnover was like, hey, dude, uh, this is whatever my name was. She's going to take over for now. Bye. And he like walked out. Wow. And I just went, oh, God. Not um, very warm. No, it was not <laughs> warm at all. And the guy was pissed. He was mm. mad. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to develop rapport and trying to empathize with him. And what an awkward situation that was for both of us. But then when I started to delve into like his motivations for committing espionage, why he was giving the U.S. information, because really like this guy's life and his family's life was on the line. Right. As I kind of just got to know him more and more, and we ended up sitting across from the table holding hands and crying together about his story and the reason that he did it. And ultimately, he admitted that his wife had gotten terminally ill. And he felt like his government should have taken care of her. They should have given her better medical care. They should have taken care of the family. And they didn't at all. And so he felt abandoned. And she she ended up dying. And so for him, there was a bit of revenge. You know, there, he had different reasoning, but revenge was one of his things. And sorry, this is a long story. But um, I think I just realized, like, first of all, I'm really good. 
And I think I'm really good because I genuinely care about these people, their well-being and why they are here. And I think that, and Jim Lawler would probably agree with me, like that really differentiates a, a good case officer from a bad case officer. Mm-hmm. If you don't have empathy and true respect for these people who are putting their lives on the line, like you're, you're just not going to be successful. So that I think that's probably one of the bigger turning points where I was like, damn, I'm good at this. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It's funny you brought up empathy. Uh, we were just on a Hacker Valley team meeting earlier today, and we talked a lot about empathy, what it really means to us. Was empathy something that you've always had just innately, or is that something that you worked on over time and just gotten better? I'm sure a lot of people disagree, but I think you're either born with it or you're not. Mm. Um, I'm sure everyone listening has met people who are like overly empathetic or they're trying to be empathetic and you can see right through them. Right. It's not genuine. There are certain skills like you can learn tradecraft. I can learn how to do a dead drop. Right. You're not born with that skill, but genuinely caring for someone and being able to put yourself in their shoes. I think either you got it or you don't. Mm. I would agree with that, especially when you're looking at this topic of insider threat, because like you described with the story when you were a case officer, the person was committing espionage for a specific reason. They had a reason and motive behind it. It wasn't just random and trying to sabotage their country. And I would imagine it's the same for a business, an organization where someone is stealing that information. Have you run into that situation at all where you unraveled the insider threat story and then it turned out to be something heartwarming or heart wrenching? <laughs> I wouldn't say any are really heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful corporate espionage. <laughs> oh, I know. And he rode off into the sunset with the secrets. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would be horrible at my job if I was right. like, okay, good luck. Bye. Yeah, too empathetic. Too empathetic. <laughs> yeah. That's called a sucker. Right. Um, <laughs> What's interesting, and just like espionage with insider threat, everybody has different motivations and vulnerabilities. They are never going to be the same. We're all human, right? So getting to know what makes someone tick and why they would commit a malicious act. I mean, the vast majority of insider threat is unintentional. It's negligent. People Mm -hmm. are just trying to take a shortcut. They're just trying to get their job done. They don't know the policy or they don't know they shouldn't print at home, whatever that is. The good news is that can be trained away, you know, large part. You can really fit enterprise embraces a security culture. If they've got an awareness campaign and good training, you can really mitigate that risk. But it's the people who have malicious intent or the people who have suicidal ideation, for example, mm-hmm. the people who have decided that they're going to do X, whatever that is. That's where having that training and awareness with the other employees and the management and HR, where everybody comes together and they recognize what someone's red flag indicators are. And if someone's pattern of behavior has changed, that's the big deal. Because then if people recognize that, which is probably the hardest part, then they know to report it. You know, people a lot of times feel like a narc or they feel like, you know, they're going to suffer <laughs> retaliation. Again, that all falls to the, the corporate culture um, and, and making that shift. But every case is so different. There are cases where people have like leaked sensitive internal documents that I've seen where they later position themselves as a whistleblower, right? which actually was not in that case, didn't really apply. It's just like, well, no, no, I'm a whistleblower. Damn it. Right. Like that, yeah. no. I'm doing the right thing um, <laughs> when they really weren't. You know, there's a way to do that properly. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because when when it comes to malicious acts, there's usually a trigger. So people have pent up frustrations or they have external pressures or, or professional stressors or whatever it is. I mean, add COVID and everything, and that's just pushing a lot of people over the edge. 
But when you've got things building up and building up and building up, kind of like a bad marriage, right? When it gets worse and the resentment gets worse and you hate your boss more and more or whatever it is, then there's a trigger. And whatever that trigger is, and, and a lot of times it's someone didn't get the bonus they were expecting or just little things, whatever that trigger is, that's when it pushes them into the realm of committing a malicious act. So it's interesting. Like it's every day is different. <laughs> right. In your research and your work, have you seen any indication whether corporate espionage or people developing sources in other people's companies, is that something that's going up? Is it going down? Because I, I don't think I, I hear about it as much. It seems like this was a very much a 1990s, early 2000s type of thing. But I would think that there's more IP to be stolen out there. So what it, what is your take today? There's more IP, but there's more ability to do it surreptitiously mm. with social media, with encrypted messaging, with Zoom, with, I mean, you name it, there are any myriad ways that someone can exfiltrate data or steal secrets. It is easy if you know what you're doing. Even the people that don't know what they're doing still are getting away with it because mm. companies don't have the right mechanisms in place to detect it, right? So I think it's gotten worse. The thing is, you're not really going to hear about it much unless it's a big case that the FBI publicizes because mm. how is it in a company's best interest to say, hey, we just got our lunch eaten, you know, right. like someone just <laughs> stole all our secrets. Yeah. There's, there's no benefit to that really. I bet. So when you look at insider threat, you know, working with organizations, multiple people, are we doing it the right way? Have you seen like an example where you're like, yes, this insider threat program is built so well, you know, do you just give your signature and you walk off into the sunset? <laughs> uh, or is it typically where there's a lot of lessons to learn throughout just uh, working with that organization? I would say the latter for sure. I have seen some really good insider threat programs, but they still needed tweaks. They still needed tools or they still needed buy-in. Um, I have never seen like the perfect program. And also what's interesting about insider threat programs is they're all different. I have spoken to companies and probably every industry you can imagine. And every single company does it different. Some people have pillars. Some people have investigations under insider threat. Some people have investigations teams separate. Some people fall under legal and compliance. Some people fall under IT. Some people fall under global security. They're, like, There's no real right way to do it. I think the right way to do it is whatever works for your company and your culture. And if you can get a program, like that's the win right there. Just, just getting that program to start. When you think about the types of information that folks are trying to get through these means, what is the sort of the, the crowning glory of, of data or information or IP that people are looking for? When we think about cybersecurity, we often see that the most, I guess, financially impactful things that folks can do is ransomware. You can lock up a company and ransom for millions and millions of dollars. What is What has been the type of information that has been the most valuable to folks doing these operations? You know, I think it really depends on the industry, honestly. When you're looking at, let's say, pharma, for example, obviously what they're stealing is research and development because it's cheaper to steal it than to create it yourself. So, you know, nation states, competitors, what have you, they want to get in on that on that research and development, but think about what at what stage is most beneficial for them as well. And then you've got businesses that have like big mergers and acquisitions. So business plans and intentions is another 
big one. You look at the gig economy. So any of those companies, when you're looking at what are incentives they're going to roll out for their partners or, you know, things like that. I think it really it varies depending on the industry. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So I can't get my mind off of more of the CIA aspects, right? Being a case officer. And you you describe, you know, people committing espionage. And I think it would be a little short-sighted to think that we don't have that within our own country, United States, other countries with their own case officers working at companies in our communities. Have you worked on any cases with a big organization, even a small one, where you found espionage on that level being performed? Yes, often, actually. Often? Wow. Yeah. There are nation states that will remain unnamed. You can use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. There are nation states that are brilliant. I mean, I have to give them kudos for how they just go forth and conquer. You know, there are a lot of times in these investigations where you realize that there is a nation state tied to it. And that's when it's really beneficial to have a relationship with law enforcement, you know, passing it to FBI, for example, and making sure that you can basically wrap up that investigation with a beautiful red bow and hand it to them so that they then have the interest in, in taking it further. For law enforcement, sometimes it's hard. They don't have the bandwidth or, you know, they're human too, right? The next promotion, mm -hmm. they need a big, sexy case. So make those cases big and sexy and, and the chances of get, getting prosecution improve. Mm. One of the things that I find super fascinating, because I'm sure there's people that listen to this and they're like, oh, yeah, I would never become an insider threat. Never in a million years. Or I'll never betray my country, right? But Jim and I have had long, deep conversations about the susceptibility of people just in general. What is your, your sort of philosophy or your take on people and their susceptibility to become insider threat? Yeah. So, and I know Jim would agree with me because we've had long talks about this too. <laughs> Everybody is vulnerable at some point in their life. Take a step back and think about your life as an individual and either when you hit rock bottom and if you haven't yet, kudos, but you will. Everybody has, you know, some point in their life where they're out of money or they have a loved one dying or they whatever, they've lost their job, whatever all the horrible things are at once. And, you know, it's just, it's just raining stress. Those are when people are, are very vulnerable. Now, do we recruit people like only in that phase in their life? No, uh, you know, that, that would be a lot of luck to just go find people right. in these horrible phases in mm -hmm. life. But the thing is like, there is something in your life that would motivate you to accept, you know, let's say an organized criminal group tried to recruit you to provide database information for your organization. 
you might be thinking like, hell no, I would never do that. But look at COVID, you know, in 2020, when everybody was losing their job or they thought they were about to lose their job, the stress that people were under to provide for their family, what do they do? We saw an increase in data exfiltration where people were taking stuff with them and pocketing stuff because it was like, save it for a rainy day. Do I give that to a competitor so that I can get a job? Do I start my own consulting firm? It was like people were hedging their bets. Mm. That's pretty rough to go through that and to know the extent of espionage, treason, whatever you're committing, to know that extent. And I would imagine in some situations, it's as simple as just plugging a USB into a server somewhere in a server closet, especially if you're working at a big cloud organization. It could be just something as simple as that. Are there varying levels of participation that get susceptible insider threats more interested in committing that crime? Yeah, for sure. In fact, before I get into malicious, like think about unintentional. Think about mm -hmm. all of the conferences you've gone to where people are handing out like USB sticks or like speakers with the USB plug-in or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. the, I would never, first of all, I would never accept it, but I would never plug that into a machine. Right. And I, I say so because I actually had an operation when I was a case officer where the U.S. government, I'll use, leave that vague. There were some, yeah. some organizations in the U.S. government that needed access to some systems, some networks. And so I had an asset who actually we had a very special USB. Yeah. And this person went and, and went to a place that, that I told her to go to. It was a woman. And she plugged in that USB device and that gave us, you know, keys to the kingdom. And if you think it's only government that has tools and techniques like that, think again. Mm-hmm. 100%. I know it's starting to get heavy. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to be an insider threat? And they're like, everybody's insider threat. You're looking at each other on Zoom. But uh, is there a story that you could tell that is kind of comical, whether it's from your, your days as a case officer or even your time in dealing with insider threat? Because a lot of times you find those stories about the bank robber that did something silly or they like try to rob folks with a banana. But is there a story that stands out in your mind that uh, just kind of leaves you smiling? The first one that comes to mind, I've probably got a lot. Oh God, I, I'm thinking right now I'm being flooded with like things <laughs> and words and stories I probably shouldn't tell um, in public. But <laughs> yes, and I'll tell you offline, the one that came to my mind. Okay. But it's like, you know, when you see the criminals on the news where they like tie up the back of their SUV to like the ATM machine and try to pull it out of the wall, but then they just rip off the bumper with their license plate. Yep, right. Kind of like that. So there was a case where colleagues started reporting, again, change of pattern of behavior, that someone had gone from needing to bum a ride every day to and from work, had no car, was very poor. They made like no money. That was their norm. And then within two weeks or less, suddenly had a new iPhone, a new Apple Watch, bought like a Lexus or was leasing a Lexus. Mm. And so other people were like, that's weird. Like that that's different. And we know that he makes us much money and that's just something's not right. And so they reported it. And in doing the investigation, a colleague and myself found that him and another person had been recruited by an outside criminal organization to commit fraud, essentially, and access mm. databases. And what was interesting is these guys thought nobody would notice <laughs> you know, and like coming to work and like, look at my new watch, look at my new phone, look at my new car. It was like, think think buddy, you know, <laughs> you're going to be a criminal. You got to like lay low, play it cool. Right. Did they not watch Goodfellas? <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. 
you always see that on the, especially the movies and documentaries that I watch on like bank robbers and heists, they always have some pattern that leaves clues behind and that's how they end up getting caught. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's true. I actually had someone brag to me once that nobody could ever see what he did in systems that he was so smart. He was a narcissist, if you can't tell. He was so smart. (laughs) And narcissism, by the way, is is a big red flag. But he was so smart, no one would be able to tell. And as I sat across from him, I was thinking, buddy, how do you think I found you to interview you? I I saw what you did in the systems. (laughs) That's pretty wild. And again, like Chris said, I'm sure people are listening and thinking there is maybe nothing that I can do. But that's where you come in and you help organizations, you help people with insider threat and these types of tactics. What is the starting point typically? If you have no insider threat program and you have very little insight as to what you should employ first, where do you recommend starting? Yeah. So I would say first do an insider threat vulnerability assessment. I like to call them human risk assessments. And that basically looks at all of your policies, your procedures, it interviews people on the ground confidentially. So then a nice report is put together and you get to see, okay, great. So we've got this policy, but A, nobody knows about it and B, nobody enforces it and C, nobody cares about it, right? So it kind of finds where your your blind spots are. It also identifies or should identify what you're doing well. After that, I would say start building that program. And you don't you actually don't need a lot of resources for this. You can um, have a small program to start, but I think starting with training and awareness, like having an awareness campaign. One thing I like to say is I'm an insider. You're an insider. Like we're all insiders. It's not this like dark secret. It should be a transparent program and you should make it not so scary because insider threat, no one wants to be called an insider threat. Right. <laughs> but making it, you know, think, think, put yourself in the tech sector, right? They do do everything fun and funny and, uh, you know, massages on Fridays and whatever. Like they try to help people embrace that security culture. So I think really emphasizing that and helping people understand, again, where that unintentional and negligent insider threat comes from, you can really help reduce that risk. Big time. One of the things that you mentioned just a second ago, and it seems to be all the rage in, in social media is the concept of narcissism. What has been your sort of interaction with narcissists and and the ideologies that go behind it that people might need to know in the workplace? Yeah, that's a great question. So again, when you're looking at personal predispositions of what people are, what makes us all who we are, we all have personal predispositions. If someone is a narcissist, it does not mean they're going to be a malicious insider threat. It's just like one point on the whole spectrum. Mm. But narcissists, typically, they think they're above the law or rules don't apply to them or they're smarter than other people. And so when you're looking at a malicious act or someone walking down that critical pathway of conducting a malicious act, that's when you start to see those indicators pretty loud and clear, usually, with someone with that kind of personality. Because it's they are not responsible. It's other people's fault. And so when people start taking note of the personality quirks, and then if they know, or they're venting about other things going on in their life, or they're disgruntled about pay or or not getting a promotion or whatever, again, that's when you're like, okay, so I see this person is unhappy. I see they think the rules don't apply to them. You know, you can kind of start putting the pieces together. The thing is, no matter what, anybody, you, I, we could be walking down that critical pathway, mm-hmm. but that's where the organization has to intervene. And that's where a lot of organizations are failing. I mentioned suicidal ideation in the beginning. People don't think about that as insider threat, but it really is, right? You're trying to protect your people. 
not just your trade secrets. You mm. want to protect your facilities. If someone's going to be an active shooter, right? We are all responsible. And so again, with that training and awareness, you're able to emphasize to the workforce, like if you see someone not doing well for whatever reason, you need to report it so that we can intervene and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it seems like empathy is the key word to a lot of this stuff. I mean, I'm sure there's someone that's listening right now that's hearing all these things about insider threat, caring about people, information. What is that one piece of advice that you would have for folks out there that just want to be more attuned to their environment to pick up on the good and the bad? Pay attention to your people, colleagues, teammates, you know, for people who are remote and they're stuck on Zoom calls or, you know, Microsoft Teams, instead of like, hey, how was your weekend? Cool. Let's get down to business. Set aside time and really have that empathy and have that trust where you're getting to know that person, get to know what's going on in their life. I had someone ask me this morning, like, hey, are you okay? And he said it very genuinely. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when people go, oh, well, yeah, no, I'm really stressed because uh, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it's taking the few moments to just ask that question or what can I do for you? That's a big one. I have a girlfriend who her and I, whenever we text each other, it's always like, hey, how are you doing? Anything I can do for you. Mm. It's just it takes a few moments, right, to just make sure that your people are, are doing well. Outstanding. Shawnee, this has been an extreme honor to have you on the show. For the folks out there that want to stay up to date with you, all of the great things that you're doing in Insider Threat, what are the best ways that people can do that? You can find me on LinkedIn, Viance Group or Shawnee Delaney, and viancegroup.com is our website. Check her out. Your social is in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you, Shawnee. Really appreciate the time. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.